Three times. Three times this month you've messed this up. You've embarrassed me in front of my bosses, and you're an embarrassment to this organization. I need you to fix this. Don't worry about it, man. I did it too. It's just blowing off steam. Just keep your head up and we're yeah. gonna be alright. Thanks, man. That'll be $16.94. Man, your card isn't going good. Can I try it again? I checked the account. I know there was money in there this morning. Ma'am, I'll take care of it for you today. Sorry, kids. We'll have to have dinner at home. Thank you. No problem. Hey, thank you, sir. Can I get a number seven with the docket number, please? Love you. Well, I want to welcome everybody here today and those joining us on the stream and on TV. I want to welcome all of our multi-site campuses all over the state of New Mexico and also in Belize. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family as well. We're beginning a brand new series today called Escaping Ordinary. So let me start off by asking you a question. Are you a little more ordinary than you anticipated? Because when I was a little kid, I was going to be an astronaut. Do you understand what I'm saying? I had big hopes and high expectations of what I was going to do. I was going to make an impact with this one shot I had with life. But aren't you a little more ordinary than you anticipate? See if you can relate to any of this. You, you, you wake up in your ordinary bed and you head into your ordinary bathroom. You take an ordinary shower and you put on your ordinary clothes. You eat your ordinary breakfast, you head out the ordinary door, you get into your ordinary car, and you drive to your ordinary job. You look at that ordinary computer screen that you've looked at every ordinary day before, continuing to do the ordinary tasks that you've done a thousand times before. Then you have an ordinary lunch. Then you come back and look at your ordinary computer while you also stare at that ordinary clock on that ordinary wall. Eventually, the ordinary clock says it's quitting time, so you get back back in your ordinary car, drive down that same ordinary road, and you head back to your same ordinary home where you greet your extraordinary spouse. I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? Greet your extraordinary spouse, and you have an ordinary dinner. After ordinary dinner, you watch your same ordinary TV shows. Then you get back in your ordinary bed, and you have the same ordinary... Dreams. I don't know where your mind was going at that point in time. Sinner, sinner, chicken dinner. Are you just a little more ordinary than you anticipated? Max Lucado has this great paragraph in one of his books. He says, we sit in the bleachers. We eat at diners. We change diapers. 
Uh, we wear our favorite team's ball cap. Fans don't wave when we pass by. Servants don't scurry when we come home. Chauffeurs don't drive our cars. Butlers don't open our doors or draw our baths. Doormen don't greet us. And security doesn't protect us. I don't know about you, but I don't like ordinary. I want to be extraordinary. I want to have an extraordinary marriage. I want to have extraordinary kids. I want to lead an extraordinary church that kicks down the very gates of hell. And I don't want to give ordinary sermons. I want my messages to be absolutely extraordinary. Now, some of you are sitting there going, we're waiting for that too, Todd, to be honest with you. And I appreciate that. I'm giving it my best shot every single week. Friends, listen to me. For those of us who are tired of the boring, you're tired of the mundane, you're tired of the same old, same old, where a week turns into a month, and before you know it, look at that, the year's almost up. Extraordinary's not that far away. If you want to live an extraordinary life, if I want to live an extraordinary life, it's taking the ordinary things we do and going the extra mile with them. It's doing the small incremental changes that make things extraordinary. It's reading a book by Aaron Chambers, and in the book, he talks about you kiss your wife goodbye in the morning when you head off to work, and you give her a long hug, and then you look deep into her eyes, and you say, I love you. You are outrunning ordinary. But if you head out the front door or through the garage door, and you wave at her and say goodbye on the way, ordinary has caught up to you. So you get to your job. And you see your boss, and you come over to him, and you say, listen, I really appreciate your leadership, and you mean it. You have outrun ordinary. But if you go to the break room, and you talk behind the back of your boss, and cause all kinds of drama, friends, listen to me, ordinary has caught up to you. You're sitting there, and you're eating dinner, and then afterwards, as a family, you say, you know what, let's have a family game night. Let's play some games. Let's have some fun. You are out running ordinary. Or you can go and watch the TV with your kids all spread around the house or maybe in the front room with you with everybody on a different electronic device, and ordinary has caught up to you. Let me give you another one. You could spend time on the Word of God. You can start memorizing scripture and meditating upon the word of God and seeking his face through prayer. Saying, God, I want to go the direction you want me to go. I want to do the things that you want me to do. And friends, you are out running ordinary because most people don't do that. Or you can say that you want a great relationship with God. And you can say that at some point in time you're going to align your life with the things of God. That you're going to spend time with God and chase after Him with everything you've got but actually never get around to it. And ordinary has caught up to you. If you remember months ago I shared with you Rick Warren said that there are three levels to living. There was the survival level. You remember this? People just living for the weekend. They're just getting by paycheck to paycheck. Just getting by. Just can't wait for Friday to come rolling around. Lots and lots and lots of people, they find themselves on the survival level of living. And then we said that there's also the success level of living, right? This is the people who have sold their soul for the three Ps. They want possession, they want power, they want popularity, they care more about the applause of man than the applause of God, they make more, care more about making a name for themselves than they do about making a name for Jesus Christ. 
These people, and there's lots of them, live their life for success. Their mantra is whoever dies with the most toys wins. No, friend, whoever dies with the most toys dies. And then your family fights over potato salad over your toys. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the way that that works. There's a third level of living, and very few live it. And it's a life of significance. You say, well, how in the world would I know that I'm living a life of significance? Well, it's really quite easy. Just ask yourself one question. What will people say about you at your funeral? Because that will tell you right off the bat whether or not you're living a life of significance or not. What will they say at your funeral? Oh, man, he loved to golf. Oh, he was quite the golfer. I tell you what, he had country club membership after co- His handicap was low. I mean, how low can you go? That was his handicap. The man loved golf. Is that what's going to be said of substance about you when you die? Or how about this one? Oh, her smile. She could just light up a room with that smile. I mean, when she walked in a room, everything came to light. She had such a wonderful personality. Is that what you once said about your impact with your one shot at life? You want people to say, I've never seen a businessman like this before. Never seen a businesswoman like this before. They could cut the deal, make make it happen, man. And they made tons of money, lived in the nicest house, drove the nicest car. Oh, man, the spouse, they're in good shape because that person was so successful. Is that the goal? Is that what you want people to say about you? Or do you want someone... To say, I just lost the best friend I ever had. That was somebody who loved me like I'd never been loved before. And he just kept on loving. And was always there. And I don't know what I'm going to do now. Without this person in my life. They meant that much to me. Do you have anybody that would say that? When they come to your funeral. Will they look and say, well we know where he's at. I mean, my goodness, he had a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It was more than just talk. I mean, he walked with God. He talked with God. That's the godliest person that I've ever met in my entire life. There ain't no doubt where he's at. Will that be said of you? Because I've been to too many funerals where people are walking by and they're like, I don't know. He went to church. I mean, occasionally... But you and I both know he didn't take this stuff very seriously. And, and I don't know about his relationship with the Lord. It, I mean, he prayed some prayer at some point in time. But as far as really seeking the things of God and leveraging his life for the things of God, just never really saw it. I don't know where he's at. Don't know if he's in heaven. Don't know if he's in hell. You know, you know what the great news is, friends? If that's the kind of life that you're living where people are unsure, if you're living your life for things where, you know, when the end of it comes and everybody's talking about your life and you're like, that's not what I want them to say, it's not too late to change. Jesus has this way of taking ordinary people and making them absolutely extraordinary. Isn't that what he did with the 12 disciples? They were ordinary guys doing their ordinary job. And then all of a sudden, one day, something extraordinary happened. Jesus said, come follow me. And they didn't know what was going to happen as a result of this, but they knew in their heart of hearts that they had to go for the adventure of a lifetime. And so they started following Jesus with every fiber of their being. And friends, we still talk about their impact some 2,000 years later. 
We can live an extraordinary life. We can live a significant life. So here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to study the book of Acts. And we're going to see how ordinary men were changed to be extraordinary to make a huge difference in our world that's even felt to this day. Now let me set this book of Acts up for you. It was written by a guy by the name of Luke. We know that Luke was a doctor. Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples. A lot of people think that he's one of the original 12 disciples because he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was not one of the original 12 disciples. He did write the Gospel of Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then later on, he writes of the book of Acts. Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. So if you're ever reading through the New Testament, start with the book of Luke and then jump right on over and read the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the early church and how God used these men to make an impact with their life. All right, we're in Acts chapter 1. Let me set it up for you. Jesus has died. He's risen again from the dead. And now 40 days has gone by, and Jesus has appeared to over 500 different eyewitnesses, 500 people that would say, we talk to the resurrected Messiah. And the people that Jesus spent the most time with were the disciples during this time. Well, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And the disciples don't understand what's going on. Look at this, verse 6. He said, they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, now Jesus has risen from the dead, and they think that since he's risen from the dead and done this miraculous thing, that he's going to set up some kind of an earthly kingdom. This is what they've been waiting for all along. They want to have positions of power and authority. So they say, hey, Jesus, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom here in Israel? And this is what Jesus' response was. He said, it's not for you to know the time or days the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They still, don't, they still don't get it that Jesus has come to set up a heavenly kingdom that will never end. He says, you will be my witnesses. Now, at the end of the Troublemaker series, we talked about this word witness. It has three different meanings. The first one's the most obvious. You'll be my witness. That means you'll tell other people what you've seen me do, what you have experienced. You will share that with other people. You will share the message of Jesus Christ, how he lived a perfect, sinless life, dies on a cross for our sins, rose again from the dead. That's the most primary way the word witness is used. But there's a second term here, and that means doer of deeds. What that means is, is that when you start sharing with others the difference that I've made in your life, they're going to want to see if those differences really are there. They're going to want to see if you're full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They'll know that you're my followers by the way... <laughs> That you love one another. So it's one thing to say, I love Jesus. It's another thing to live for him. So Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Because nothing will hurt your witness worse than you say one thing and you go off and you live a completely opposite way trying to justify your behavior as you do it. So he says, you'll be also my witnesses, which means doer of deeds. And then the last term for witness is from the Greek root word for martyr. You will die for the cause of Christ. You will be my witnesses. You will be scattered. You will go and share the message of Jesus all throughout the ends of the earth. And many of you will die 
And that's what happened with the disciples, didn't it? With the exception of John, who died of old age, the rest of the disciples were martyred for their faith. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that was it. And the disciples are standing around, you know, what, what in the world are they supposed to do? Now, now here's the deal. You realize the risk that Jesus is taking here. Because these people were not what you call consistent, right? I mean, the disciples were wishy-washy at best. You certainly couldn't rely upon them. And Jesus is taking a huge risk. He's ascending to the right hand of the Father. He's saying, I've entrusted the message to you. And I'm sure that was scary for Jesus. What if they don't share? What if they don't live for him? What if his cause isn't worth sacrificing for? We're always one generation away from Christianity being extinct. And friends, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the reason that there's so many kids turning away from the faith right now is because they're going home and watching their mom and dad and they're not seeing anything of substance. We have this opportunity to be a light in a dark place and it starts in our own home. Showing them truly what it is to have a relationship with the real God who really does want something with our life. Who has a plan and a purpose for our life. So Jesus is taking a tremendous risk and he says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go to the ends of the earth and you're going to share this with everybody. And the disciples realize the task that's before them is astronomical. It's huge. And so what do they do? Well, verse 14 to chapter 1 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Write this down if you're taking notes. They prayed constantly. Now let me ask you a question. Does that describe your prayer life? Do you pray constantly? Do you pray continually? For most of us, that's just not the way that it is. For most of us, if we were honest, we would have to say that we pray occasionally. We pray sporadically. The only time our prayer life really looks good is when we're in trouble. When storms have come into our life, when things are beyond our control, when we need divine intervention, we call out to God and our prayer life goes up to a 10. <laughs> but if that's not happening, we pretty much do our life our way. Don't really seek him. I mean, when's the last time you just spent five minutes on your knees in prayer? And then we got to ask ourselves the question, why wouldn't we? Here we have access to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords who wants to help us, equip us, enable us to live this extraordinary life that we all would say that we want to live. And yet we don't call upon him. We don't ask him for any kind of help. It's kind of like we just kind of live as if he doesn't exist. You know what I mean? I mean, we shoot up a little prayer right before we eat a meal, right? I mean, that's pretty much everybody's prayer life for the most part. Well, we shoot up a quick little prayer right before. Right? Or maybe right when we start our small group, well, somebody needs to pray. That's what we need to do. Oh, why don't you pray for our small group and get that over with so we can really get to the study? You know what I mean? Why don't we seek him? Can I, can I be honest? I, I think this is why most people live an ordinary life. How can you have an extraordinary marriage unless you ask the Lord about it? How can your job be transformed to something extraordinary unless you talk to him about it? 
How can you raise extraordinary kids who want to leverage everything they are for the things of God and for the kingdom of God if you, mom, you, dad, aren't on your knees on a daily basis talking to God the Father about the trajectory of your kids? Here's, here's what's great about God. God says, listen, I'll give you an extraordinary life. All you got to do is ask for it. Let me talk to all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Let me talk to all the single men. Some of you are so bummed out that you're single. You have such a desire to get married. What if you had a different perspective? What if you just sought the Lord? And you said, you know what? In the next few weeks, the next few months, the next few years, however long it is, Lord, that I'm going to be single. If you have a desire to get married, some don't. But if you have a desire to get married, you know what? I'm going to make these single years the best years ever. I've got more time to do more things for the kingdom of God than I've ever had before. So God, use me, mold me, shape me, stretch me. What if we started praying a prayer like that? What if we started praying that kind of prayer to have an extraordinary marriage? And you looked at your wife or you looked at your husband and said, let's go extraordinary. And then you got on your knees by your bed at night and you just sought the face of God together. And you poured out your heart to God together. You cast all your cares upon the Lord because he, what would that look like for your marriage? Wouldn't that change everything? Let me ask you something. Is, is your attitude an extraordinary attitude? Is your attitude the attitude of Christ? Or do you walk around with a somber, mean, ticked-off attitude? Nothing's ever good enough for you. Talking bad about somebody behind their back, gossiping all the time. What if you said, Lord, this is what I'm frustrated about. This is what I'm dealing with. Now, God, I need you to do something with it. And then I want you to, be, to show me how to be your hands and your feet. What, what if you did it with your mouth? How many people did you wound this past week? My gosh, how many people did I wound this past week? And I pray all the time, God, set a guard over my mouth and I'm not sin against you or sin against somebody else. Oh, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The situation is desperate. But we don't realize the desperation. And that's why we don't pray. Read a convicting story this past week about Billy Graham. If you don't know, don't know who Billy Graham was, he was an unbelievable world-class evangelist. And he, the, the, well, historians tell us that Billy Graham told more people about Jesus Christ than any person who ever walked the face of the earth. He'd do these huge revivals in these huge cities, these huge arenas. He'd go on for day after day after day. They'd just pack the place. Whenever Billy Graham came into town, the local churches would all gather together, gather their resources. And one of the things that they would do is they would put a choir together. Had this huge choir, they'd have choir practice. Well, uh, Billy's supposed to be in Sacramento, California. He's supposed to be at the Arco Arena. And it's late. Choir practice has gone later than normal. And this gentleman is driving home. It's almost midnight. He drives by the Capitol. And it appears that there's a homeless man on the steps. It's cold outside. Guy says, well, I just got done with choir practice. Billy Graham Crew says, I can't just drive by this homeless guy. I got to at least put him up in a hotel or something. I got to help him out, see if I can get him a warm meal at the very least. So he parks his car. He walks up to the homeless man. He's apprehensive. He's nervous. He hasn't done this very often before. And he goes over and he taps the guy on the shoulder. The guy is kind of down in a cocoon position. Taps him on the shoulder and says, sir, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Thinking he's a homeless man. It was Billy Graham, praying on the Capitol steps for the city of Sacramento. 
When's the last time any of us prayed like that? So here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. You can go extraordinary. Here's how you do it. Spend time every day with God. And I want you to set it up as an appointment. I want you to get that fancy phone that you spent a thousand bucks on. And I want you to use that little uh, calendar app that's there. Because you calendar everything else. And I want you to find a place. And I want you to find a time. And it doesn't have to be longer than ten minutes. How pathetic is that? Can you spend ten minutes a day with God? You say, well, what I do? Well, read a chapter of scripture and then pray. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what you're going through. Confess your sin. Thank him for all the beautiful blessings that he's given to you. But you set that time, you set that date, you do it every single day. And I promise you this, you do it for a month, you'll start living an extraordinary life. Because all of a sudden you'll start to see things the way he sees things. And you'll be more in tune with the spirit of God than you've ever been before. And listen to me, don't stand God up. Because if you set an appointment with him, I promise you this, he will show up to that appointment. The second thing is I want you to get in the habit of just talking to him all day long. I mean, some of us, we, he's not even on our mind as the day goes by. But all day long, I just want you to shoot up little sentence prayers to him. Like you're heading for the gym, okay? Those workout clothes that you got, they're not, they're not just daytime PJs, okay? They're also supposed to be used for the actual gym, right? So you go to the gym for the first time, maybe, or you're walking in the gym. You go there all the time. Here's what you do. Before you walk in, you say, Lord, I'm going to the gym. And there's going to be all kinds of people around. I'm going to keep my headphones low. I'm going to keep my eyes open. And if there's a need, if there's a conversation, if there's something I can do for you in this moment in time, lead me to do it. You're driving in your car. You're praying. You're not listening to the news. You're not listening to music. You're just praying. You're just talking to God. And all of a sudden, somebody phew, just blows by you, right? Phew, just cuts you off. Now, if you're in a constant state of prayer and you're talking to God, I don't think your next thought when someone does that is, you know what, I'm going to rev my engine, come up next to them and let them know they're number one, right? I don't think that's going to come into your mind at that point in time. I think you're probably going to say, you know what, they got places to go. God, just help them to slow down. God, help them to drive properly, right? How about this one? You're heading into your home. How about you pray, God, help me to be the husband. Help me to be the wife that I thought I would be when I said my vows. Help me to love and to cherish. Help me to be in tune with my family's needs, their hurts. If you're a teenager, you're done with school, you're heading in, you had a bad day, you got a bad attitude, why don't you just pray? And not, not carry that attitude on to your mom and dad and, and give it to them. Why don't you, you know, I'm going to be the best teenager. I'm going to be the best son, the best daughter. God, fill me with your spirit so that I might not sin against you or somebody else. See, most people don't live their life this way. That's why they're living such an ordinary life. Friends, when we pray like the people in the book of Acts, we will see the repower that the people got in the book of Acts. Now, some of you, 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 you just, you've already given up on me. You're like, oh, we're talking about prayer. I've given up on prayer a long, long time ago. Why did you give up on prayer? Eh, it didn't work. It didn't work for me, I tell you. It didn't work. I prayed and 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 I prayed and, I prayed and it didn't work. It didn't work, so I quit praying because it doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. Write this down. 
Prayer is not about getting God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is about getting yourself aligned with what God wants for your life. Prayer is not, he, he, he not the genie that comes out of the bottle and you tell him what you want and if he doesn't do what you want him to do, then all bets are off and you're out of here. He does not exist for you. You exist for him. Prayer is not trying to twist God's arm or make God do something that's not going to be in the best interest of you or the person that you're praying for. Prayer is about getting ourselves aligned with him. Look at this. The Bible says in James 4, 3, when you ask, you don't receive. Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Write this one down. Why we pray is more important than what we pray for. Let me say that again because that was good. Why we pray is more important than what we pray for. Ask yourself these questions as you're lifting up your prayers. Does this request advance the kingdom of God? Does this request benefit others? Does this request help you to grow spiritually? And start praying some big, hairy, audacious prayers. Stop praying wussy prayers. My goodness, we have, with the creator of the ends of the universe we get to talk to, and we're praying, be with me. Stop praying, be with me. He says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. That's the stupidest prayer you could ever pray. You want to tick your pastor off? Pray that in front of him. I will tick me off. I'll say, what are you talking about, be with you? That's as good as it gets. Maybe the reason we haven't seen God do very much in our lives is because we haven't prayed for God to do very much in our life. I remember the early days of this church. Man, we prayed big, hairy, audacious prayers. And the things that we see today are the things we prayed 20 years ago for. And I've seen God answer one big, hairy, audacious prayer after another, after another, after another, after another. And so when that happens, what happens to my faith? My faith gets stronger, doesn't it? Do you remember almost a year ago... I came before you and I said, you know what? God's laid on our heart as the leadership of this church to do an M1 capital campaign. We were on the tail end of COVID. And I said, we want to raise money to start over 50 churches all around the world. We showed you all the people, showed you videos, all that stuff. And then you guys came forward and you laid your commitment cards down above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. I don't know very many churches in the country that did something like that in the midst of a financial crunch that we've been in. And yet we said, you know what? Every single dime is going to go to start in those churches. That's a big, hairy, audacious prayer, isn't it? Well, here we are now, 10 months into the campaign. You guys have donated so far over $3 million. And we've gone from 50 churches to 60 because of your generosity. You got to see God do a work, and he did it in you and through you. But someone had to start with that big, hairy, audacious prayer. I think God smiles when he says, there's somebody who still believes in me. There's somebody who still thinks I can do something incredible. Maybe the reason we don't pray is because we don't really believe that God can do much of anything. But my God, nothing is impossible with him. And then they prayed constantly because they realized the job that Jesus gave them was a big job. They weren't supposed to spread the message of Jesus to their next door neighbor, even though that was important. That wasn't the job that Jesus gave them. It wasn't for a neighborhood. It wasn't for a city. It was the entire world. That'll get you praying, wouldn't it? 
read a story this past week. F.B. Meyer was uh, spending the night over at A.B. Simpson's house. F.B. Meyer is a big-time British pastor. A.B. Simpson started the Christian Missionary Alliance. They'd spent some time that evening talking to each other. And the next morning, F.B. got up really early. He thought he was up before anybody else started tippy-toeing down the hallway. And there was a door that was ajar. It's the door to the study. And so he kind of peered through the door to see what was going on. And his friend A.B. Simpson was already up. He was on his knees. And in front of him was a globe. Here's what he would do. He'd spin the globe. And then he'd put his finger on a country. And then he'd pray for the country. Then he'd spin the globe. He put his finger on a country and he prayed for the country. He did this again and again and again. And then he did something that FB said, I'll never ever forget. He picked up the globe and he hugged it. And he cried. And I just thought to myself, how long has it been since I've cried over the spiritual condition of our city? And how long has it been since I cried? over the spiritual condition of our state? And how long has it been since we as a church have prayed that God might do something so big and so amazing through us that it could actually turn this state back to Jesus again? Let me say this again. The situation is desperate. The problem is we aren't. And that's why we don't pray. Anybody here having a hard time in their marriage? Don't don't raise your hand. I don't I don't want it. I was just something. Like, oh yeah. You, you should pray. Anybody here having a little bit like feel like they're in over your head because those little sinners running around your house and you're trying to raise them in the ways and teachings of the Lord and you're like I don't even have a clue what I'm doing. Well, why don't you pray? Pray over them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Anybody here tired of having a sour attitude? Always being negative, always being cynical, always being sarcastic. Pray that you'd have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Anybody a little bit frustrated with the impact you've made so far, even though you've been on this earth, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years? We need to pray. And I want you to see they prayed together. The Bible says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. There's something about when people pray together. I remember a few years ago, I asked you to start praying with your spouse. And some of you did. You still doing it? I hate to admit this, but up until the time I challenged you to do it, I wasn't doing it with my own bride. I mean, after dinner stuff, you know, before dinner, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, go God, you know, that kind of stuff. That was happening, but nothing of real substance. My wife and I haven't missed a single prayer time in years. Even when she was uh, in Phoenix with Cammie, we just got on the phone every night, we prayed. And it's brought a whole new dimension to our marriage. And I think we kind of spurt this thing, don't we? We do it for a little bit, and then we stop doing it. But I don't understand this stuff. Who do you have that you pray with? 
Who are you binding your soul with to somebody else? I talked to the small group leaders for just a second. When you do small groups, do you guys really pray? So, oh, yeah, we pray. No, no, no. I mean, do you really pray? Did you get in groups of two? Did you get in groups of four? Do you, you, you really spend some time allowing everyone to share requests? Are you passing the requests from one person to another so they take those requests and they continually lift those up to the Father? And if you aren't in a small group, can I ask you a question? Why aren't you in a small group? The Bible says we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And some of you are watching from home. You're watching on the stream. Guess what? You don't get out of it either. Because we have small groups that we meet virtually. We've got small groups all around the world that meet together. And they pray together. And they study God's word together. We are launching right now tons and tons of new small groups. We call them on-campus groups. And on your app, your Sagebrush app, just scroll down that front page, find on-campus groups, just click on it. You'll see a plethora, yes, my friend, a plethora of different small groups that you can choose from. And here's what's great. They're on-campus small groups. At the campus that you attend, they're at your campus. And we as a church provide free child care. So not only do you get closer to God, you get farther away from your kids. <laughs> it's a pretty good deal when you think about it, right? There's, there's just no excuse. Prayer is what binds people together. So are you living an ordinary life? It's because you've chosen it. Extraordinary starts. When God's people pray. Let's do that right now. Dear Heavenly Father. I pray this next week. That every one of us hearing my voice. Would schedule time to be with you. To read a chapter of scripture. To cast their cares. Lord I pray that every single person hearing my voice would find someone they can pray with. And Lord, if they're married, I pray it would be their spouse. And that you would bind their hearts and their souls together in a way they never dreamed. And Lord, I pray for every person here who doesn't have a group of friends that they can turn to because they're not involved in our small group ministry. I pray today they would say, it's time for us to take this more seriously. It's time for us to take a chance. Lord, I pray that whatever it is that you would have us to do so that we might be extraordinary for you and for those that we love because, Lord, when we're ordinary, it hurts them as well. Lord, give us a passion. Give us a desperation to seek you, to be your hands and be your feet and to be a part of something that's so big and so amazing that only you get the credit for it. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.